Braves and baseball fans, it's time to take a trip from coast to coast across Major League Baseball. There it goes, a long drive. If it stays fair, home run. One strike away. Sandy into his windup. Here's the pitch. Swung out and missed a perfect game. Fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes, yes, yes. The Atlanta Braves have given you a championship. Listen to this crowd. Left side, Swanson to first. Braves and baseball talk, straight from the diamond. Here's Grant McCauley. Hello again and welcome to another episode of From the Diamond. As always, I'm Grant McCauley and we continue on the countdown to spring training as Braves pitchers and catchers report in less than a month. And right about a month from now, it'll be full squad workouts and then it's full steam ahead to the Grapefruit League schedule, to the World Baseball Classic for all of baseball. Lots of stuff going to be happening about a month from now. But we've got a lot of Braves things to talk about on this here episode of From the Diamond. I'm going to have Corey McCartney with me as always. We'll be talking about a lot of stuff going on around the Braves. Another Brave that found a new home in Adam Duvall. What that means to left field. Does it mean something to Vaughn Grissom? We're going to discuss that as well. Then I'm going to have Garrett Spain of Battery Power join me to talk about the Braves' international signing class, headlined by Luis Guanipa, another talent from Venezuela. Much like Ronald Acuna Jr., a lot of hype around this kid, a lot of talent for this kid will size up that signing class. Again, Garrett Spain of Battery Power going to help me do that. And then I've got a special guest, Jason Stark of The Athletic. He got the exclusive interview with former Braves general manager John Coppolella, who was reinstated by Major League Baseball this month. Jason will tell us all about his discussion with John Coppolella, who found himself from baseball's permanently ineligible list to having the opportunity to perhaps at some point, maybe, resume his career in baseball. But nonetheless, the changes he has made in his life to have the opportunity to be reinstated by Rob Manfred, the commissioner's office, that's something that uh, a lot of people thought may never happen. In fact, it did. And Jason Stark will be with us to tell the story a little bit later in the show. As always, I want to remind you, please subscribe to From the Diamond wherever you get your podcasts. Also, if you'd be nice enough to share the show with a friend and leave us a review, that would help out the show immensely. You can follow me on Twitter at Grant McCauley. Also on Instagram at Grant McCauley. You can find Corey on Twitter at Corey J. McCartney. The show is at From the Diamond with an underscore on the end. You can also like the show on Facebook. Just search for From the Diamond. And for everything else and links to all of these things, just go to FromTheDiamond.com. Well, Corey, another week, and that means we are that much closer to spring training, as you and I both know, less than a month away before Braves pitchers and catchers will be reporting. In fact, they'll be having, around this time, the first full squad workout down at Northport. So those are things to be excited about. But we, of course, continue to have some questions about the 2023 Braves. You and I discussed this on Battery Power this week as well, and let's start in left field, where there was some news, and some of it is just what's not available for the Braves now, because this left field situation has been a big discussion overall, and I want to go through all the little ins and outs of this, but one big reason why that this is something that's been so talked about is that Adam Duvall signed with the Red Sox, a one-year $7 million deal with a chance for $3 million more in incentives, a very good guarantee for him, and it comes despite a season-ending wrist injury that truncated his 2022. He had interest from several clubs, and I know that the Braves really got a lot out of Adam Duvall the past four or five years, and that's been a big reason for their success. He's been a contributor to that, and I guess about the only good thing you can say about Duvall signing with the Red Sox and not the Braves is, at least it wasn't the Mets. <laughs> and it also was the Mariners, remember, who he had done some major damage against the Braves for uh, in the past. But um, I, obviously, you know, with 
Duvall going to Boston, I mean, we knew they were going to be in a situation where they had to address their issue Mm -hmm. with Trevor Story no longer being available. So they moved Kike Hernandez down to the middle infield. They went out and addressed their outfield by bringing in Duvall. And, uh, you know, certainly he was a major factor for this team. Uh, You know, these past couple seasons, you go back to the 2021 postseason and he was I mean, he held things down in center field, a spot that he had only played a handful of games ever before uh, that 2021 season. And then he comes in last year and had to do so until Michael Harris, the second ride, he's able to move over to left field, spent 35 games there and was the only player who saw a single inning in left field who did not have a negative defensive runs above average. I, you know, I think maybe you had to look at it and say, okay, if you could have Eddie Rosario and bring back Duvall, maybe things will look a little bit better. But I think mm-hmm. Duvall was at a point where he wants playing time, and certainly yeah. Boston afforded him a lot more than the Braves were going to. Yeah, it really did, and I think that the Boston Red Sox also afforded him a bigger deal than the Braves were going to be comfortable you know, giving Adam, and not because he hasn't played to be worth it. I know he made, what, about 8 or $9 million last year with the Braves, so you wouldn't imagine he'd be out there looking to take an active pay cut that would drop him down into really the area that the Braves might want to put more funds into that position because another thing we've talked about is you owe Marcelo Zuna $37 million over the next two years. Even if he's not your starting left fielder, that's money and that's a spot, whether left field or DH, that he is at least the elephant in the room. We'll call it that. You signed Eddie Rosario to a two-year $18 million deal. He got $9 million left on that. So by some very simple math, and then you throw in signing Kevin Pillar this week, which we'll talk about in a minute, adding him to a list of other alternatives and, and fifth and sixth outfielders perhaps for the Braves. You've spent a ton of money on this position, so I just couldn't imagine the Braves spending seven to ten million dollars more, even if you're bringing back somebody like Adam Duvall. Because as you look at where the Braves are in terms of the luxury tax, they're going to continue to make moves. But now I think they're maybe just a bit more strategic about it, and perhaps allow themselves a little bit of flexibility. And I know that that's a word that people don't love. But from the financial standpoint, to do some spending in season to address needs that they have, because quite frankly, they've got a very large waiting room full of outfielders and they need somebody to walk in and take this job, win this job and run with it. So they get way more production than they got out of the position in 2022. Well, I think you could also make the argument that if you were to have gone out and done something substantial in left field and you were to put six, seven million dollars more per year than, you know, what you're uh, what you're already paying, people would have said, well, why didn't you give that money to Dansby Swanson? And then you would have had, you know, less questions at shortstop. And you, you know, maybe uh, as Mark Bowman, as you mentioned on Battery Power, uh, had brought up. Maybe Von Grissom ends up seeing time in left field. So I think that would have been a, obviously a, you know, a kind of a, a thought casualty, if you will, to that whole process. But I think they, they just have so many options. And you have a guy in Rosario that you feel like, man, everything that could have gone wrong went wrong for mm-hmm. a guy for him last year. If he can be anywhere close to what he had been throughout his major league career there's nowhere near the questions marks that you're going to have in left field that you had in 22. No, there wouldn't be. And and this Duvall signing with Boston, it takes a piece off the board. And again, I thought Duvall's return at this point was doubtful because the Braves have added a bunch of options this winter. But at his best, he was still a very useful piece for the Braves. He contributed quite a bit to Atlanta's success over the past five seasons, but it just kind of seemed like they were going to go a different direction. And, you know, who knows with this wrist injury, you know, what Adam Duvall is going to show up in 2023 as well. Maybe that was a question that the Braves weren't 
weren't completely settled on and decided to go the other way with a number of different options. I mentioned a, a moment ago that the Braves signed outfielder Kevin Pillar, the veteran, to a minor league deal. He'd make $3 million if he makes the club. That, to me, Corey, kind of points to maybe what Duvall would have been looking at if he wanted to return kind of this non-guaranteed deal. If he made it, he'd get a certain amount, but it seemed like, you know, Adam Duvall could probably scare up a better offer than $3 million, and in fact he did. But you have Pilar to Jordan Luplo, Sam Hilliard, Eli White. Atlanta's got a lot of outfield depth behind Eddie Rosario and Marcelo Zuna as they try to piece together this left field DH position. And I know that DH is not a position that's kind of a nebulous term, but it seems like these two things are inextricably linked together because you might have a platoon in left. The other guy might end up being your DH for that day. And that, to me, says everything we need to say about the uncertainty yeah. around not one but two different positions in the lineup for the Braves or two different slots in the lineup. Let's call it that. Yeah, and on the topic of Pilar, I mean, you think about him last year. I mean, he ends up signing a minor league deal with the Dodgers, and then, you know, he comes up, and then he ends up on the IL with a left shoulder fracture, gets surgery, ends up coming back, only played in a handful of games. So I think his health is certainly something that you're going to be, you know, having a, Monitoring. a, a big yeah, big, uh, big spotlight on. But $3 million if he makes the club. The guy's been a productive player without question in the past, and, you know, certainly, you know, he's a guy who has ties to Alex Anthopoulos as well, so he's very well aware of what, uh, you know, Pilar is capable of. But, yeah, I mean, it, it is interesting how everything with left field is intertwined with DH, but then the kind of variable there is that you bring in Sean Murphy, and as Alex Anthopoulos mentioned when they got Murphy, we thought that there was enough uh, – opportunities between uh with ab's between dh and catcher with those two guys and that's going to trickle down and limit obviously you know if you're trying to find an opportunity for mm-hmm. marcelo zuna to mm-hmm. get you know any playing time at all that's going to be cut down so obviously it's unsavory to have him in left field but are you really wanting to take away the potential of what murphy and darno can do in the lineup as well to give more ab's at dh to darno so excuse me to azuna so there's just i mean I'm glad I'm not Brian Snicker having to deal with all this because this is a this is a massive puzzle he's gonna have to figure yeah, out. Yeah, like I mentioned, I mean it's it's kind of a, a waiting room. I mean, you look out there and it's take a number, maybe might be the way that this spring training is going to go. They're gonna try it a few different guys, and some, you know, weren't necessarily brought in to solve the left field problem. They're going to be either depth in the minor league level for guys who sign minor league contracts and and will take assignment, or it, it could just be, you know, you've got the guy that's just your utility kind of outfielder who could come in defensively play for just about anybody and then you've got the platoon option and then of course you've got dh all of those things but as i look at atlanta's left field and this is something we've talked about an awful lot whether it's on this show on 92.9 the game over the course of the summer as we saw atlanta's left field and dh be a real problem area for this club both of those uh, p- particular spots in the lineup adam duvall had eight home runs and an 876 ops in 30 games as a left fielder and this was an otherwise down year for the 2021 National League RBI leader. So he had really turned it around before his injury. After that, that's when things really got, I think, just out of hand for the Braves in left field and at DH without having a really good option. And that's how much we saw that Adam Duvall's absence affected this club. Atlanta left fielders by the end of the season combined for a 716 OPS. That's combined for all 162 games. And that includes Adam Duvall's nearly 900 OPS in his 30 games at that spot. So overall, 18th in Major League Baseball among left fielders. Then many of these same guys are logging DH at bats, particularly Marcelo Zuna, Eddie Rosario. It was worse there. 24th in Major League Baseball with a 659 OPS for Atlanta DHs last year. 26th 
with just 62 RBIs from their DHs a season ago as well. That was tied with the Cubs for dead last in the National League. Only a handful of really underperforming American League teams had a worse DH production level than the Braves did in 2022. So I say all that and bring Adam Duvall in and and throw his numbers back into the mix to tell you not only was Atlanta's left field production bad, but without Duvall, it was even worse than most people may have realized. And think about Ronald Cunha Jr. saw a lot of ABs at DH last year, which is probably uh, responsible true, yeah. for a lot of a lot of the positive production that was there. But consider this: you have the 2020 NL leader in home runs and RBIs. You have the mm-hmm. 2021 NL leader in RBIs, mm-hmm. and you have the 2021 NLCS MVP. And overall, mm-hmm. they were negative war in that position. I mean, it, it how's just, that happen? Yeah, it's just a avalanche of bad things that happened for the Braves in left field. Yeah, it was. And look, Eddie Rosario can't make much less of an impact than he did last year unless he's injured. Marcelo Zuna, like many people, I don't expect much from him, but this money is sunk. And as I've talked about, to the point of diminishing returns, uh, whether, again, reaching critical mass where the Braves have to decide, look, we've done as much as we can do with this player, and now it's time to simply cut our losses, eat this money, and if we can't trade him for somebody else or something else, then simply to move on addition by subtraction, uh, but that, that brings us to a very interesting discussion that came up this week. And we talked about this a, a little bit earlier. I mentioned it, you did, about Mark Bowman's uh, newsletter for this week over at MLB.com, Braves.com. And obviously, you and I know Bo very well. You know, very connected, has plenty of ideas and plenty of insight on this club because he's been doing it for nearly two decades. And, you know, this kind of, you know, think piece or idea, it's not far-fetched, but Vaughn Grissom in left field, that was kind of the the uh, what Mark was putting forth is maybe this is the answer. Maybe we've been looking at this problem all wrong. I would say if the Braves had settled shortstop that, okay, well, maybe now we can kind of expand our mind a little bit and actually think about giving Vaughn Grissom time in the outfield we saw him get some some reps as far as practice reps, but never in-game did we see Vaughn Grissom play left field last year. It just wasn't something the Braves did, even with the return of Ozzie Albies, which, albeit, was short-lived. And maybe that's the reason why we didn't see uh, Vaughn Grissom in left field at all last year. But to me, this does not seem feasible right now until you've truly settled the shortstop position. And even then, I'm not sure that another hasty position change is the best thing in the world for Vaughn Grissom. I mean, there's something to be said for some continuity, right? Yeah, and obviously last year, you know, after his toward start, we saw him, you know, drop off considerably from an offensive standpoint. Mm-hmm. And that was already with him playing out of position at second base. So then you'd be asking him to completely change and go out and play in the outfield. I think that the, the whole caveat here is Vaughn Grissom has to be hitting in, if you're going to consider yes. him being in left field. And then what are you going to do at shortstop? Unless you're going to be bringing in an, an, a veteran, and there's still a number of them uh, still on the market, obviously, Elvis Andrews at the top of that list. Unless you feel like, you know what, him and, you know, Orlando Arcia, they can handle this spot. Or, you know, Braden Shoemaker, somehow you see enough of him early on that you feel comfortable enough with that. But I just can't see that being the case. No. I think there's too many potential, you know, positives with what you can have from Rosario looking anywhere close than he has in the past where you just allow Von Grissom to see a shortstop. Yeah, I think that that clearly would be one of the better outcomes at that is that Von Grissom gets the opportunity to win the starting shortstop job at in spring training and does so. And that Eddie Rosario bounces back because let's be honest, the Braves need him to do that as well to get some kind of left-handed production out of the DH and left field spots. And, you know, it, before I get back into the Von Grissom thing, because you brought up Braden Shoemaker, I got a lot of questions about him when I put my thoughts out there about why maybe Vaughn Grissom to left field is a thing to to look at down the road. I don't really feel like Braden Shoemaker, Corey, has done enough just from showing the on-base skills that you would need 
to feel like he's ready to jump up and take a major league job. And I'm not saying that he couldn't play maybe a capable shortstop, but I think it just invites more uncertainty into the situation when you already have a candidate like Vaughn Grissom that seems to be kind of the the ideal guy in the organization anyway, who's already logged some big league time. And, you know, maybe this will be an easier transition going back to the position that he's been known to play throughout his career. And you also have Orlando Arcia. I just don't see Braden Shoemake coming in and changing anything about what the Braves' plans are, at least at the moment right now. And that puts aside the possibility that they could go sign a veteran shortstop, and we'll get to that in a minute. Yeah, you can't ask a guy who's never had a major league at bat to all of a sudden be the answer and allow you to, you know, to, to completely lo- allow another guy in Garcia, uh, excuse me, in, in Grissom to, to go out and, and change positions. I mean, it just doesn't make it. Not, not everybody is Jeremy Pena, right? You can't no. have these expectations that you're just going to plug and play and right. have no drop off whatsoever mm-hmm. uh, from the position. I think what they got last year early on from Vaughn Grissom enticed everybody to to think of the potential of him. But then again, we saw him drop off. I think you, you've got to have some, I think, tempered expectations with what you're going to get from Vaughn Grissom if he's the guy in 2023. And I don't think that should include throwing him into another position change uh, in his first full big league season. Yeah, and I feel like there's something to be said for developmentally speaking. Say you go out and you get an Elvis Andrews at a, on a low-cost deal to be your stopgap shortstop to start 2023. It doesn't mean that he would necessarily finish the year as a starting shortstop, but it would give Von Grissom time to go and develop at that position and continue to play that position, given all of the work and all of the things that he has clearly been getting from Ron Washington over the course of the offseason. I feel like developmentally speaking, especially for a player who's, what, 22 years old, that maybe that's the route to go to allow him to have that opportunity to get more reps at the position if you think that he can, in fact, handle that spot, which the Braves have raved about it all winter long. And whether or not you or I or anybody else listening thinks, oh, well, maybe they're just talking this up a little bit more than they would let on. Maybe they don't want to out-leverage themselves by saying, yeah, we're not really sure at shortstop so that every veteran can line up and say, oh, you're not sure, huh? Well, now I want this instead of this. And it just becomes more costly. So everything has kind of a trickle-down effect. It all you know, echoes through the uh, the free agent, you know, universe, if you want to call it uh, that kind of thing. But regardless of whether or not you get that veteran, I still think that it's Vaughn Grissom coming to spring training as we sit right now is the ideal outcome for the Braves at shortstop. If, in fact, he can handle the position, defensively speaking, which seems to be the biggest question, But it is also worth looking at the bat because the hard hit rate was not what you would want it to be. But this is a kid that he does put together some really good professional at bats, but he is, again, or was, one of the youngest players in all of Major League Baseball last year. So whether or not he will say it or whether or not it shows or whether or not we can tell, there's an awful lot of pressure on Vaughn Grissom, putting aside the fact he's having to replace a guy that just won a gold glove, signed a huge free agent contract to go somewhere else, and had been one of the faces of the franchise for the last six or seven years. Yeah, and it's not like a year from now you're going to have all these massive free agents like you had the last two seasons no. when you think about the shortstop classes. So you're really invested in whether or not Vaughn Grissom can figure this out because the the fact of the matter is the way that the Braves addressed the 2022 uh, into 23 uh, offseason, I think directly you know impacts the down the line because they could have gone out and solved the situation for years to come. Mm-hmm. They didn't. And they are invested in whatever happens with Vaughn Grissom, or if they feel like a year or two years from now that Braden Shoemake gets that opportunity, uh, they're going to have to get this thing figured out much in the way that we talked about catcher. How are you going to do that when they had Shea Langoliers and William Contreras mm-hmm. 
they're going to be very much in that same mode in shortstop for these next few years. And think about it this way. I mean, think about how many times the Braves have gone out and made a trade now over the last couple of off seasons. I mean, it's happened in each off season. I mean, the soft catcher, they hope for the next six years with Sean Murphy, that was a trade that was kind of off the radar. So the idea of them trading for a shortstop over the next year or two, if they feel that's the route they need to go, that is certainly got to be a thing that's on the table, you would imagine, yeah. because Alex Anthopoulos, he doesn't take too many days off. He's not just going to rest on his laurels and say, all right, well, this team looks good enough. I'll reassess in 90 days. This is going to be something he's going to continue to monitor this market, whether it's free agents, whether it's trades, whatever it may be. But I just feel like, and again, to just kind of hammer this point home about Vaughn Grissom and shortstop and, and why I just doubt the left field thing is. There are too many options that the Braves have and too much money that's been sunk into left field for me to feel like, okay, we've got uncertainty at shortstop. We've got uncertainty at left field. Let's make both things a little more uncertain by having another guy leave a position that we were grooming him for to put him in another position that he's really never played much of and have it all done by opening day. I just don't see that as being plan A for the Braves, if that makes sense. Yeah, this isn't Evan Gaddis, and you're trying to keep a bat in the lineup. And that wasn't a great idea Whatever either. happens. Yeah, no, <laughs> I just I can't see it happening. I, Vaughn Grissom is going to be the opening day shortstop. I think he ends up with the most ABs and most playing time of anybody uh, as shortstop for the Braves in 23. Well, I got a couple of questions from some from the Diamond listeners. We always appreciate those, and you know, I think we are going to answer this question each and every week. Chris Shafee listens to pretty much uh, every episode of From the Diamond, I would imagine, and just about everything else we do, from battery power to whatever, uh, we find ourselves talking about the Braves or whenever we do uh, Chris is usually there he wants to know thoughts on the future of Max Freed and I feel like we're kind of in this same thing where for me I, and I know all these extensions have gotten everybody looking at the fact that hey maybe they'll sign another guy maybe, who's the next guy that makes the most sense well it's going to be Max Freed Corey, I feel like his position, you know, literal and figurative here in both getting an extension and the role he serves for the club are uniquely qualified and much different than even Freddie Freeman and Dansby Swans in the last couple of years. Those guys reach free agency. Freed's still two years away from free agency, going to go to arbitration to figure out his salary with the Braves for the upcoming season. I just feel like if there was one of the three that it makes the most sense for and from a position of need for the Braves to maybe lock down for an even longer time, Max Freed might have kind of a, a leg up, if you will, in his importance and bringing him around as somebody that Alex Anthopoulos has been on the record recently saying, I think you're going to age really well. That would make me feel like, hey, we've been thinking about the long-term probabilities or the long-term uh, prognosis of having a Max Freed at the front of our rotation this feels like, to me, a, a deal that at some point over the next couple of years could get done, but I think it's going to be a pricey one for sure. Well, the thing I'll say is that this is the second straight year that he's going to arbitration, right? And unless something's worked out between now and the hearing dates, he's going to be going before an arbitrator, making his case, Braves make theirs for the second straight year. That leads me to believe that there's, at least at this point, a differing opinion on Freed's value between him and his agent and the Braves, and we're having that happen for the second straight year. I think he's going to free agency because we know what teams are willing to pay for starting pitchers. I can't see him getting a deal done before free agency. I thought it was going to happen with Swanson. I thought it was going to happen with Freeman. Starting pitchers, ace-level starting pitchers, mm -hmm. we know the market is ridiculous for that kind of player. I think Freed's going to take this thing to market. Maybe he does wind up staying with the Braves. It's going to, as you mentioned, it's going to be a massive deal. 
Uh, but I think he's going to go out there and find out what his value is in the open market. Yeah, and I think Freed, who was a runner-up for Cy Young in the National League last year, is going to win his arbitration case. I also am not a, a big believer that, hey, but just because you had to go to arbitration that you know it's somehow going to sour permanently the relationship. That's just part of the business of baseball. Yeah, and, I don't, and, I'm not saying that yeah, at all. I just, think I, I just, just want to throw that out there because I think a lot yeah. of people do kind of think that, but go ahead. Yeah, I don't think that at all. I just think we're seeing for the second straight year, there's a differing in value between player and uh, in representation. Yeah. And I think that's at least leads me to believe that he's more likely to go to free agency than he is the uh, at least whatever value the Braves mm-hmm. are putting on him right now in terms of what they were presenting with an extension leads me to believe that he's he's more likely to hit free agency. Yeah, and, and look, I, I mean, I would say at best it's 50-50 that the Braves get this done. And that might sound like a cop-out or a very obvious, uh, you know, um, way to look at whether or not he could get an extension done with the Braves. But I'm just saying when it does come to arbitration, it's kind of the business of baseball. Lots of guys have been to it. Some of them go to free agency. Some of them end up signing and staying with their clubs. Other guys, they go places, they come back. I mean, it doesn't permanently sour a relationship just because you had to go to an arbitration hearing for the vast majority. And Freed being a, a union rep for the Braves, he's going to realize how the business of baseball works. And to your point, he's going to realize you know, what this market has bared out. And he's not a dummy. When you look at what his opportunity is from an earning potential standpoint, this deal that he gets, whether it be an extension with the Braves or a free agent deal, that's going to be the big deal of his career. He's not going to be in the place where he's going to be able to go back out. And I mean, mm-hmm. unless he ends up aging like Max Scherzer and is signing you know, three years at $43 million a year with somebody one day. And I hope for Max that, you know, that, that could happen. I'd like him to make as much money as possible in his career. I, I just don't know how this whole thing will play out yet. I don't guess any of us really do, but I still think there is that possibility that there could be a bridge between he and the Braves before it reaches free agency. But hey, look, I mean, maybe I'm not ready to be hurt again, but I've got to be open to the possibility because the Freeman thing played out the way it did. The Swanson thing played out the way it did, largely, I think, based on the market, very different than Freddie. And now you got Max Fried coming along with, I think, a very different argument than either of those two players have for both his yeah. own free agency and for the Braves when it comes to an extension. So a very interesting question, very interesting discussion that we'll continue to have. Uh, one more question here comes from Thomas Evans. When does Mike Soroka make a start for the Braves? Corey, I'm going to go ahead and tell you that if a healthy Soroka shows up in spring training and proves to be... 75% of what he was before this injury, and I'm talking just in the early going of the season, I don't really see a way around him being the fifth starter, but I will throw this in. We also saw Ian Anderson has been spending his offseason working very hard in the laboratory, as it were, mm. at Wake Forest to try to kind of, you know, not reinvent himself, but to find whatever it was he lost in 2022. It's a two-horse race for fifth starter, but I still think, and we've talked about this before, the inside track goes to Soroka if, in fact, he shows that he's healthy and can get the results that we saw in the early portion of his career before two years of Achilles injuries really derailed him. If either of these guys is what we've seen them be in the past, I mean, the Braves are going to be in a fantastic position with that guy winning the fifth starter spot. I mean, this is going to be a fierce battle. I mean, you think about over the years when we've had these conversations about who's going to be the fifth starter. Now you're talking about a guy who has one of the best postseason resumes of any starter uh, to start their their career of anyone and Ian mm-hmm. Anderson. And then you have a guy in Mike Soroka, who is an all-star and a former NL uh, rookie of the year runner up. Mm-hmm. I mean, this thing is going to be fascinating. And I think either wh- whichever one of them wins, if they are anywhere close to what we've seen, this is going to be a extremely good rotation. Yeah. And keeping in mind, in addition to those other accolades, Mike Soroka was the Braves opening day pitcher in 2020. That yeah. was where his career was trending before this injury. So still in his mid twenties and with the work ethic that he has and the fact he was able to get on the mound in 
in 2022 and get some meaningful innings in the minor leagues to kind of knock the rust off a bit, now have a regular offseason that he's not spending the whole time just trying to rehab to come back from injury. I think that this is kind of the the time that we've all been waiting to see for Mike Soroka to get him all the way back to say, okay, come on into spring training, hopefully have just that normal schedule and see what this guy can give you because I think there's a lot left in the tank there for sure. Well, Corey, I enjoyed talking Braves with you. We've got a lot more to get to on the show, and I look forward to you know continuing to do this as we count down to spring training over the days and weeks to come. All right, man, waiting for more. Well, next up, we're going to turn our attention to the Braves minor league system because as we got to the middle portion of January, it was kind of a big deal. We didn't have this for a little while with this international signing business, but the Braves are back in business when it comes to this very important talent talent pipeline. So I want to invite Garrett Spain, who covers Braves prospects and the Braves minor leagues over Battery Power. So my teammate there, you can follow him on Twitter at BravesMILB and find his work at BatteryPower.com. Uh, Garrett, first and foremost, welcome to the show. It's uh, been a while since we've had a chance to chat, and I'm excited to be able to to talk about international prospects again because we went a little while without having that opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. I'm happy to be on here. And it's been an exciting couple of years now that the Braves are really back to signing guys. It's been nice to have a slew of guys coming into the system that are interesting to talk about. Yeah, it is. And we're going to have some interesting guys to talk about on this very show and in this signing class. And, you know, having not had one for a number of years after the sanctions that were handed down to the Braves back in 2017, they did not have this talent pipeline, as I talked about, and this tunnel. They finally come through the other side and they're finally seeing the light and they're finally able to restock their farm system with players from Latin America. So, Garrett, I want to start before we jump into the class and just ask you, how big of a deal is it for the Braves to have those privileges back again? Right. For the Braves specifically, I mean, it was a devastating blow to this team. And now they've been lucky to have a lot of guys come up, which has hurt the system. But a main reason that the system is weak, especially at the lower levels, is because for three or four years, they didn't have these guys coming into the from the international side that really bulked up the squad. You know, you look at guys like Acuna Albies, those weren't even higher end signings at the time that have turned into important mm-hmm. players for the team. And not having that has really hurt really the development. And you're starting to see it now get into high A and double A levels where there's not a lot of depth in the system, especially on the position player side. They've really gotten weak and there's not, when guys leave at the major level, we're seeing that with replace Dancy Swanson. There really just aren't options to go to mm-hmm. to replace it internally. Yeah. Going forward for the Braves, this is going to be a major deal where they're going to have those players four or five years down the line. They're going to have those players that they can turn to that can impact the big league club. And I think for any team losing basically half the talent pipeline that you have available to you, that's hard. And they've had to, it's affected their draft strategy too, where they've had to go in and sign basically every single player they draft and they can't pick and choose and be selective. They have to go in and when they have a 20 player draft class, they have to get all of those guys to sign or they're just not going to have enough players in the system. Yeah. It's been really interesting. Obviously the draft has undergone some changes in the last three years and you know, that's probably an entirely different podcast to talk about. But you, bringing that up, I mean, that is interesting because I hadn't really thought about it as much as, well, yeah, they need to hit on these draft picks and they need to make them all count. Certainly, but not having an entire talent pipeline that's flowing from a place where it's not a surprise. A lot of Major League Baseball talent has been groomed and grown, and you want to be able to go out there and stock your farm system with that, and the Braves simply did not have it. 
Uh, so as we look at this year's class, nearly two dozen signings announced, I believe 21 on day one of the international signing period, which was January the 18th. And the Braves went to that familiar proving ground in Venezuela to get their top talent. That's where they found Ronald Acuna Jr., of course, and that's where they found Luis Guanipa, another right-handed hitting outfielder with that power-speed combo, just 17 years old. Uh, Garrett, tell us what stands out about Guanipa. Guanipa is an incredibly impressive physical player. He's a smaller player. He's 5'11", so he's considered undersized. But when you watch him, you can't tell. The ball jumps off of his bat and the videos that you see and his bat speed really is the big key. And that was one of the first things that we saw with Acuna was Mm -hmm. he had elite bat speed. And with Guanipa, you see that same process of a guy that can just go out there, get the bat to the zone and really make impact contact throughout the zone. Defensively, I mean, he's a very speedy guy. He's a guy who can stick in center field, and that's always valuable to have anybody that can play up the middle and hit. And he's a guy that we already know within the last year has made significant swing changes. And Mm -hmm. things like that are important to have a guy that's willing to put in the work and not just rest on talent, but go forward and prove that he can improve as a player and do so at a young age. And that's a guy that has so far shown all the tool set as well as the willingness to learn and change. And that makes a huge difference in the system. A lot of guys have talent and don't have that willingness to work. And seeing that from him this early is a very big sign. Yeah, a very big sign, very encouraging sign, because the work that you put in to that talent obviously can make a huge difference, as you just pointed out. And I think it's one of the things that puts Ronald Acuna Jr. at that next level, because, yeah, he was born with a certain amount of talent. But you look at how hard he worked, not just to rehab his knee, but I was watching some of Ronald's videos from this offseason this guy puts in the work. So if that's the kind of guy that Guanipa and other young Venezuelan players are seeing and, and kind of wanting to be, then I think that that's something that can work in the Braves' favor. And so it was very interesting to me to hear the Braves' contingent discussing the Venezuela connection for this club. Jonathan Cruz, the director of Latin American Scouting, has said that no surprise, Ronald Acuna Jr. has a huge impact in attracting talent from his home country of Venezuela to the Braves. And they've signed quite a few of these guys over the last couple of signing periods as well. Right. I mean, we watched a little bit in the Venezuelan Winter League this year where Ronald Acuna Jr. played. And when he came out, the cheers were just different than they were for any other player people were excited to see that and we actually saw this a lot with Andrew Jones where the Braves got a lot of guys from Curacao because they grew up idolizing Andrew Mm -hmm. Jones and wanted to be that player and the Braves getting that superstar from Venezuela like one of their biggest superstars ever is a huge deal because people are going to look up to that and when these young players come in and want to idolize that player they're going to want to play for the Braves and they're going to be in Braves shirts growing up Braves hats and Having the guys that want to be with the organization and be a part of the organization helps a lot when it comes to negotiating contracts and just getting guys in that are passionate about the team. Yeah, it really does. And the Andrew Jones connection, I mean, it's one that, I mean, I heard it as recently as last year when Kenley Jansen signed with the Braves. Hey, I mean, this is my home country. Yeah, it's cool to play with Ozzy Albies, but obviously Andrew Jones was an exciting player that got our whole country watching the Braves. And the funny thing about it, I asked Kenley, I was like, so was Andrew kind of your guy growing up? And he said, well, yeah, he's one of them, but Fred McGriff was really my favorite player because that was how attracted he was to the Braves as a club. And Fred McGriff's career, now on his way to Cooperstown, it was just kind of funny to hear Kenley Jansen say, oh, Fred McGriff was my guy with the way he finished with a bat up over his head and so on and so forth. And, of course, Kenley Jansen was a position player momentarily before finding his future and his career on the mound after switching over and becoming one of the better relief pitchers we've seen. But it's funny the way that baseball connects people in so many different ways. And when it comes to the Braves and the country of Curacao, the country of Venezuela, both of these things seem to be aspects that could really help out this club in the international market. 
The rest of his class has some intriguing talents, and as you know and I know, you kind of get to know these guys as they're coming in, but they're a long way from the major leagues. Uh, Guanipa made a lot of these top prospect lists. He was somebody who was kind of a known quantity. Uh, the rest not as highly touted, uh, and I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, there may not have really been another you know, top 25, top 30, top 40 signing for the Braves, but we also know that things can and will change as these guys begin their pro careers. We've seen the Braves excel at identifying Latin American talent that's not on everybody's radar. You mentioned a couple that it doesn't get much bigger than Ronald Acuna Jr. and Ozzy Albies as examples. Both Acuna and Albies were signing for $100,000. William Contreras was signing for $10,000. The Braves, really in every level of their organization, of the organization, are good at identifying under-the-radar talent, guys that have the physical tool set but didn't have the exposure necessarily. And so with a lot of these guys, we're in a situation where we just don't know anything about them. And I think a lot of that, too, we lost a lot of that through the pandemic where there's not as many people just over there feeding that information. Mm-hmm. But there are other interesting guys. I mean, uh, Carlos Monteverde um, out of Venezuela signed yep. for $700,000. And that's not a small signing bonus. That's a major signing bonus guy that we may not necessarily have the information on him, but we know they saw enough in him to give him nearly a million dollars. And I mean, that's a, you know, if you look at it from a draft perspective, that's second, third round money. Yeah. So that's clearly immediately an interesting prospect there. Mario Baez, he's a guy that we know is extremely fast, signed for about $200,000. That's an interesting guy. Wilmer Guerra was a player that we have a little bit of video on. And it seems like he's one of those tall type of projectable pitchers that mm-hmm. throws a fastball slider in combination. The Braves have really targeted those type of pitchers in both internationally and in the draft, those mm-hmm hard-throwing, fastball-up, slider-away type pitchers, and that's another player that could fit into that kind of mold. And so really with these guys, a lot of these guys are going to go to the Dominican Summer League, and we won't hear from them for a couple of years. And then the better of the guys like Guanipa, Monteverde, they may end up in Florida, but it's still going to be two years from now before we can actually get eyes on them. Mm -hmm. And for the most part, it's just going to be kind of hearsay on – listening to people within the organization and what they see in camps and stuff. That was when we first occurred about Acuna. I mean, with Acuna, it was within a couple of months of him playing in Florida, we had people saying us, oh, this is the next guy. And we had the same thing with Albie. So people within the organization Mm -hmm. think this is the next guy. And so with a lot of these guys, you'll hear the whispers before you really see them break out. And for the most part, it's just a lot of these guys you're just not going to hear from for a few years. Yeah, they'll kind of build, and it'll have that buzz that will come as they do get to the stateside and start seeing some of the full-season affiliates and you know begin to get these reps in. The Acuna thing was really kind of fun because I was down there that spring training because I know there's that story about Chipper Jones was out there as a special instructor, and they brought over a few players to run the bases during infield drills, and he pointed at Acuna, and I don't doubt it, and said, you know, this guy's somebody we need to keep our eye on. I remember watching those guys come over. I was sitting there kind of watching drills and was there throughout that week. And it wasn't too much longer after that that Ronald Acuna Jr. made it to Rome. Of course, he got hurt. So even still, like the buzz that was building with Ronald, you were just you're hearing about it and hearing about it. And then, boom, all of a sudden in 2017, he put it all together, was seemingly getting better and better and better at every level to the point where I think some of us were probably wondering, why isn't this guy playing baseball in Atlanta in September in 2017? When he did get up, everything worked out pretty well. He's going to be around for a long time. Not all of these prospects are going to turn into Ronald Acuna Jr. They're going to be their own guy. They're going to chart their own path, and we'll see as their story unfolds. And again, they get stateside and start playing in the full-season affiliates where exactly some of these careers are going to take them. One of the other things I looked at that it kind of stood out to me this week was this Baseball America Top 100 list. 
As we talk about prospects, Baseball America just kind of rolls off the tongue. You do that Google search. You go to see, hey, where is this guy on this prospect list, that prospect list? The top 100 in all of baseball, uh, for the first time in a long time, Garrett, no Braves on that list. And I know it might seem like kind of an indictment of the system, but the run of success, the frequent graduations, the trades that we've seen, all of this has impacted the Braves farm system and their ranking among the 30 baseball teams. How soon do you think we'll see the Braves start to put a prospect or three on that vaunted Baseball America top 100 list? You look at the system as a whole, guys like Von Grissom and Michael Harris Mm -hmm. would normally be in the top 100 in most organizations. They really shouldn't be at the major league level when you look at a typical prospect and they were just good enough, the Braves were good enough to get those guys there. Right now, the Braves have guys that are kind of very interesting, but not at that level yet. Um, a guy like AJ Smith Shaver, he was at Augusta this year, had a decent season, but got hurt late in the year. And he was, he was a guy that was starting to get top 100 buzz, but then Mm -hmm. he was out, missed the last couple of weeks. No one really knows what the injury is. And so he kind of fell off list, but that's a name that we're probably going to hear within the next year or so. Mm -hmm. The guy that could make a case for the top 100, uh, their most recent top, um, top pick in the draft. Owen Murphy is a guy that, has a very good chance of being on that top 100 going into next year. I mean, a guy that has the physical tool set and the pitch mix to dominate at lower levels, the guy with the pedigree of being a first round pick, a guy who from all accounts works hard and puts in the work to be better. Those are the type of guys that tend to move up pretty quickly. And there's another, there's more interesting guys typically from this draft in terms of um, J.R. Ritchie, Cole Phillips, that could be those top 100 prospects. And so they have a bunch of mostly arms that are, kind of fringe, you know, top 200 sure. prospects that haven't yeah. really taken that next step. And you kind of expect that of that group, one or two guys going into next year will probably be ready. I wouldn't be surprised at all if mid-season Owen Murphy and or A.J. Smith-Shava were in the top 100 because those are both guys that are probably fairly close to that status, mm-hmm. maybe not necessarily getting that recognition yet nationally. But if you look at the actual talent level and what they bring to the table, they certainly have the ability to do that with just a few minor tweaks. Yeah, and you threw out a few names there. I want to kind of close out with this as we do move into 2023. Yeah, we're getting excited about Atlanta Braves baseball, but as you look out throughout the minor league system, a lot of us spent a lot of time kind of looking at that because the Braves had those down years, but now they've been winning at the big league level, so a lot of the focus has gone back there. But as somebody who follows this on a regular basis, are there a few names, and you might have already thrown a couple of them out, that you're kind of excited about in 2023, guys to watch that might take that next step and might all of a sudden, heck, not just be on top, 100 list but get on that atlanta radar in a positive way here over the next what six seven months yep i think the players we've all talked about so far kind of those lower level it's going to take a while guys but if you look at some of the players that are going to be interesting and could move quicker uh spencer schwellenbach was the second round pick in 2021 but he had an elbow issue and he hasn't been able to play yet but he's a guy that this is the organization loves him great arm has all the metrics on the fastball the organization loves and they really are looking forward to having him within the organization. Blake Burkhalter was this year was a compensation pick for actually for Freddie Freeman signing, leaving a free agency. Um, uh, was a reliever out of Auburn. They're going to try him as a starter, but he's a guy that's an advanced arm, could be in the bullpen really this year mm-hmm. if they want to make that move with him. He could be in the bullpen this year or advance quickly with the up the system as a starter. He's a guy that they like as well. Uh, another pitcher that I really like is Dylan Dodd. Um, definitely the under the radar type nine name. He was a third round pick last year, but has great fastball metrics, a left-handed arm, 
good slider, good changeup, good, and has really improved his command. He got up to AAA last year. Mm-hmm. So that's a guy, along with Jared Schuster, another left-handed arm who was the first-round pick in 2020. Both of those guys have a fairly good shot of getting to the major league level next year. And then on the offensive side, they called up really a lot of their top hitters. Uh, they trade away Justin Henry Malloy. Right. So offensively, there's not a lot of depth there. But an interesting name for them is uh, Ignacio Alvarez, who's a fifth-round pick out of uh, a junior college in California last year. He's 19 years old, but he went to low A last year and was dominant. I mean, gets great marks for his defense at third base. Has played some shortstop, and okay. he walked he walked 26 times while striking out 15 times in his short time on the system last year. He has a good physical tool set. He's a big, stronger guy, and you know he has to make some swing changes. But he's a guy that could be the next of those under-the-radar type picks that really excels and comes up. And all of a sudden, a year from now, we're hearing, oh, here's this guy that they got out of nowhere that's their top-hitting prospect in the system. He's the guy that I think is the target for the next one to be in that conversation. Well, it sounds like a story that we have heard a time or two before when it comes to the Braves finding these players and these players finding their way to Atlanta and helping this club win a lot of baseball games. Garrett, I know you're going to keep us up to date on this throughout the year. Your coverage on Battery Power is a must-follow for everybody out there. So if you're tuned into this show, you already know we got our little Battery Power TV show, Corey and I do, but it goes so much further there on Battery Power. So many talented writers, and if you're interested in the Atlanta Braves and looking to follow every aspect of the organization, you will find it right there on that one convenient website. Uh, Garrett, I want to give you a chance to let people know where they can follow you and what kind of stuff you guys are working on as far as prospect coverage for 2023. Right. So as we mentioned at the top of the show, uh, you can find me at Twitter at BravesMILB. You can find me at Battery Power. And then we're working on our next major project uh, going up next week, starting on the January the 23rd. We're going to roll out our top 25 prospects in the system list. All right. And that's our next big project. And it's always a really fun project every year. We have a lot of fun doing it. Uh, people seem to love it. You know, all the names we talked about today, you'll hear those names and you'll hear more about those names. And you'll get an opportunity to really dig deeper if you want to hear about these guys and kind of get a look forward to the next wave of players in the system. All right. It's something I look forward to. Can't wait to read the top 25. And of course, all season long, you'll be recapping all of the minor leagues at all the different levels and all the news that you need to know about the future of the Atlanta Braves. You can find it at Battery Power. Make sure you're following Garrett at Braves MILB. Garrett, I really enjoyed it. Look forward to doing it again throughout the season, and uh, hopefully we'll be talking sooner than later. Thanks for you for having me on. It was a blast. Well, a great discussion about the international signing class with Garrett Spain of Battery Power. Again, batterypower.com is where you can find all that great coverage over the Braves minor leaguers and this most recent international signing class. Now, when we talk about the international market, quite clearly the Braves have been through a bit of a journey over the past five years, and in the midst of that, John Copalella, the Braves general manager who resigned in 2017 at the close of the season and found himself banned from baseball by Commissioner Rob Manfred for not just the international signing infractions, but the way that he handled everything during Major League Baseball's investigation, the hammer fell on the man known as Copy, and he was banned from baseball. But he has been reinstated as of this month, a very big story and kind of under the radar, if you will. But that has been the way that John Coppola has really handled everything since departing the Braves. He has not been talking about all of the events that led to his departure from the Braves and being banned from baseball. Well, That changed this past week. Jason Stark of The Athletic is the man who got the exclusive with John Coppolella. Want to welcome Jason into the show. You can follow him on Twitter at JasonST. That's J-A-Y-S-O-N-S-T. Jason is with The Athletic. He also has a Starkville podcast, so make sure you subscribe to that. And he recently wrote this article, Ex-Braves GM John Coppolella discusses life on and after MLB's banned list. Again, 
reinstated by Major League Baseball this week, John Coppolella. And Jason, I found this was a, a really interesting quote. I did it to myself. That was a big takeaway when I read this article. But I guess my question is this, and it was probably the question MLB had to also grapple with and determine is, how has the last five years changed John Coppolella? Grant, that was the question. You know, if you just go back and look at what happened and why John Coppolella got suspended for life, uh, it really even was not about what he did in Latin America. But look, a lot of teams do a lot of stuff in that part of the world, that part of the baseball world. Mm -hmm. And the people who do it do not get life sentences. Uh, what clearly enraged Rob Manfred back then is once they began to investigate, once they confronted John Coppolella, um, he tried to deny everything, minimize everything, say it, tell them everybody does it. Mm -hmm. And that was disturbing to them, the cover-up, the lies, and, you know, some of the other stories they heard about the way he was conducting himself, doing his job. And so this was a two-year process of them determining that this was a guy who was now ready to take accountability for what he did, to understand uh, the magnitude of all he did wrong, and to to understand it was important to express genuine contrition for everything mm -hmm. and they spent two years looking at this guy, meeting with him, listening to him, checking out his stories to making sh just to make sure that everything he said was happening in his life was actually happening. Yeah. And they concluded he was a different person, that he'd learned from what happened, that he'd had a moment, and he'd learned from it. And at that point, the punishment no longer fit the crime. Yeah. So he got reinstated. Well, and you look at, I think, accountability is a word you can use. Contrition is a word you can use. And anybody that's listening to this now that hasn't had a chance to go to The Athletic and read Jason's full rundown of everything that went into John Coppolella being reinstated by Major League Baseball, if you haven't done that yet, I'd encourage you to do so. But Jason, as I read it, and having known John for a number of years and having some degree of access to him and talking to him over the first, what, three or four years that he was in and around that job being in charge of the Braves, Obviously, it was quite a shockwave that got sent through Major League Baseball when you do hear something like banished for life. So I'm really interested to know what John Coppolella has done since that banishment. And a lot of people, they could have spent the rest of their life, or at the very least, maybe a decade or more, kind of in the wilderness, angry and bitter and never coming to terms with this and never taking that accountability for it. So it seems like he found ways to really positively affect people around him, which has really helped him turn things around and ultimately walked him back into an avenue in which getting reinstated might have not ever been something he thought was even possible. Yeah, I think if he continued going down the path he was he was headed down when this happened, this would not have been possible. But he decided, you know, once it really dawned on him what had happened and why it happened, that he needed to change everything about his life, mm -hmm. uh, the way he treated people, uh, his work-life balance, the amount of time he was devoting to his kids and to his wife and to their lives. Um, all of that happened. One of the most incredible parts of this story was him saying, I felt like I wanted to make a difference mm -hmm. in the lives of younger people who are coming along. And so for him, that didn't just involve coaching his kids and mentoring. It involved him reaching out the athletic department at Notre Dame where he went to school and saying, 
I would like to come talk to kids who are thinking about going down the path that I'm going down and, and telling them, here's how I screwed up my whole life. Right. So they put him in touch with a professor of business ethics. I mean, it's like the perfect job description for a guy who wanted to do this. Mm -hmm. And so he flew to Notre Dame at his own expense three different times with his kids, twice with his son, once with his daughter. And he spoke to the kids in this business ethics class and told him his story, how he'd risen in the ranks, left Notre Dame, went to the Yankees, mm -hmm. worked his way to where the Braves hired him. And the next thing you know, he was the youngest general manager in baseball, told him the success story and then how it all came crashing down and then took a bunch of questions from kids uh, about this and, and then talked to them after class um, to where it really left its mark on a lot of these students. And this professor that he, whose class he spoke with told us something that really resonated. Uh, he said, you know, we talk in class about this all the time. We understand why bad people do bad things, but why do good people decide to do bad things? Mm. And this was a real window into how that happens, why it happens, someone it had happened too. So by him telling that story, it was really powerful, both for those kids and for us working on our story. And it's a story that is unlike really anything that I have seen or encountered in my time in baseball. And for most people, I think this suspension is something that got everybody's attention immediately in the baseball world. And the hammer was dropped on a GM who had operated kind of outside the lines in the international market, most certainly. But as you discussed in this piece, it wasn't just about the international signing infractions that the Braves were in the midst of at that time with Coppola at the helm. But as you laid out in your piece, the message that Coppola's ban may have sent other general managers or executives across the baseball world, it feels like this was a punishment that was really not just directed at Mr. Coppolella, but also a message that was sent to all Major League Baseball clubs about the way that Rob Manfred views accountability for a lot of GMs. Yeah, and that's exactly right. You know, if you remember the timeline, uh, Copy resigned from the Braves day after the season mm -hmm. in 2017 and got suspended, you know, I'm, I want to say right around Thanksgiving yeah. that year. So mm -hmm. there was a period, maybe six, seven weeks that elapsed between resignation and suspension. In between, Rob Manfred went to the general manager's meetings. And, you know, if you if you think back on this, um, the big story from his appearance at those meetings was he was lecturing these GMs about sign stealing. Because this was the, the, this was right <laughs> after the Astros won the World Series. Right. And there was so much talk about it then. But in, in addition to that, he warned everybody in the room about what was happening in the international market and said, this can't happen. You are leaders. You need to set an example. And this is not it. And right after that lecture to those general managers, he suspends this guy for life mm -hmm. and then like goes on ESPN radio and makes it clear it wasn't necessarily because what of what he did. It was because of the way he conducted himself before, during, and after the negotiation. And if you're another leader in the sport and you see that, you have to understand Rob Manford means business on this front. Well, Jason, let me wrap up with this. We know what happened. We know why the punishment happened. We know a lot of the questions have been answered. But one that stuck with me as I closed out your piece is 
What's next for John Copalella? What do you think in your time and in, in working on this story and in discussing with him is the next step for him and will it involve baseball? Well, we talked about a lot of stuff. This was something he did not want to get into, whether or not he wants to work in baseball again. My guess is, yeah, he does. Sure. But, you know, I talked to several people on the other side of this, executives whose time dates back to his time. They know him. They know how he went about things. They know his story. And I was just curious whether they thought he would get a baseball job again. And in order to that for that to happen, he's going to need some relationships that he's built up through his career that were strong enough that the trust endures, the relationship endures, and that five years outside the game has not damaged. That's a tall order just mm -hmm. in and of itself. But then there's there are other aspects to this. And one of the biggest is what does he have to offer? You know, does he have a thought process or a work ethic or some special quality that he can bring to a team that they're willing to say, all right, we don't care what happened before. This guy can help us. And you know, that, you've seen all the people that left the game, didn't return in the last five years. Yeah, uh, It's harder to crash through that barrier than it's ever been before. And so my guess is, Grant, if he gets another job, it'll be a pretty low-level job. Uh, it'll be some kind of pro scouting type deal. He's not going to be a big decision maker in somebody's front office. Sure. It would be some position where he gets back in the door and then we see what happens. But I do think there's a reluctance there from a lot of people in the sport to trust that what he brings at this stage of his career is worth the aggravation and worth having to listen to people say, you hired a guy who did what? Yeah, You know, it's possible he's just so radioactive that can't happen. But stay tuned. Like the only answer really is time. So yeah. I, I'm as curious as you, Grant, to see whether he just keeps doing what he's doing in the timeshare industry or some other industry or whether there really is a place for him back in baseball. What an amazing next chapter that would be. Absolutely. And as we have known so many ways throughout life and sports, time will, of course, tell. And uh, time is something I certainly appreciate you offering to me this afternoon, Jason. Really enjoyed talking to you. I definitely recommend that people go out, read this piece in The Athletic about everything that's been going on with John Coppolella, his reinstatement, and the journey that the last five years has been. Jason, thank you so much. I look forward to talking to you again soon. Grant, thanks for inviting me. Yeah, make sure you read that article about John Copalella over in The Athletic, written by Jason Stark. Make sure you follow Jason on Twitter at JasonST, J-A-Y-S-O-N-S-T, and subscribe to Starkville wherever you get your podcasts. Appreciate Jason's time so much during what was a very busy week for him. That's going to bring us to the end of this very busy episode of From the Diamond. As always, I appreciate you making us part of your baseball podcast regimen. Make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you'd be so nice as to leave a rating and a review, share the show with a friend. That helps us grow here. You can follow me on Twitter at Grant McCauley, G-R-A-N-T-M-C-A-U-L-E-Y. You can follow Corey on Twitter at Corey J. McCartney. Find the show on Facebook. You can like us there, and you can find all the useful links for everything I've been talking about and anything else I can throw your way as far as Braves is concerned over at FromTheDiamond.com. 
That'll do it for this episode. Packed a lot into the show, and we continue to count down to spring training. Braves Fest happening this weekend. I'll be able to talk to a lot of members of the 2023 Braves. Have a lot of great interviews lined up for the next episode of From the Diamonds. So join us again next week. And until then, so long, everyone. <laughs>